Hi everyone, it's Laura Smith, SLP Mommy of Apraxia, and I am here today with a special guest. This is Brianna Waldrup. Did I pronounce that right? Yep. Yay. And um, she is, if you don't know her, you should. She is so heavily and highly involved in the Apraxia community. She's an amazing speech language pathologist. She's a fellow Apraxia boot camper. She took the Apraxia Kids Intensive Training Institute in 2018. She is the owner of Apraxia Dallas. So anyone who ever contacts me on Instagram or Facebook, um, I will likely always be sending you to Apraxia Dallas um, is where I would recommend. So uh, she is also um, uh, the director of childhood Apraxia treatment. And she is the North Texas Walk Coordinator for Apraxia Kids. <laughs> so, Brianna, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Laura, for um, making this happen. So um, really glad to be able to be on here today and share some information with everybody about child apraxia treatment and the Once Upon a Time Foundation. Yeah. So, and yeah, I think you covered everything. I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, um, kind of apraxia at work and apraxia at home and <laughs> you know some of the things I do I get paid for and some are volunteer and I'm just yeah so what got you in what was what got you interested in apraxia and passionate about it um so you know after I'd been a speech language pathologist for a few years I had the opportunity actually to come to work at apraxia Dallas um and that I, I took over ownership in 2016. So this was a few years before that. Um, and I had been working with just um, an early child intervention with a lot of young children that I saw red flags with for apraxia, but I just really did not know very much. Like most speech language pathologists, I had learned about two things about yeah, CAS seriously. in graduate school. Oh, it was like they children with apraxia group. <laughs> and they make slow progress. Seriously, right. those are like the two things I learned. And, um, and I mean, and I think I went to a fabulous program. It's yeah, just yeah, you're not just to cover. And absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so I had the opportunity to start Apraxia Dallas and be able to have a great mentor in learning Apraxia. And then of course, doing a lot of continuing education. And um, so, and then it was just once I started working with these children, it's just really so much of that truly um, something just really connected to me with um, these kids, you know, having a voice that needed to be heard and just, you know, wanting these children to be able to be seen. Um, I felt so much of the time they just weren't seen and heard. And so that just connected a lot with my own story and history. And so, you know, that's just where um, then it was just like, okay, and then I'm full into a praxia world <laughs> and trying to learn more about how to help these children and um, and families and just, um, you know, you and also having been doing apraxia therapy now for several years and really involved then, of course, that, you know, a lot of our families, I work with them for, you know, for years. And so they become yeah. like family. And so then just really uh, wanting to really do as much as I can um, for these children and their families. So that's kind of where it all comes from. So. Oh, I love that. Well, um, definitely the Apraxia community, myself included, appreciates you. So um, you. those kids are special to me too. So we're really here to talk about um, the Once Upon a Time Foundation, DTTC, how this all fits together, childhood Apraxia treatment. Um, 
So uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, you said you were the, let's see, make sure I get it right, Director of Childhood Apraxia Treatment, and this is a private foundation, and what's kind of the goal? What's the mission statement? Sure, yeah. So Child Apraxia Treatment, our goal is to educate parents and speech-language pathologists um, about evidence-based treatment for childhood apraxia of speech. So, and we are a program of the Once Upon a Time Foundation. So Once Upon a Time Foundation is a nonprofit private foundation that headquartered in Fort Worth, and they fund a variety of different projects, a lot related um, to medicine, um, but some in the arts oh, wow. and education as well. So child apraxia treatment is one of their programs, um, but that's, of course, the one that I'm primarily um, involved in. So, um, and yeah, that mission is just to provide really high quality information for parents and SLPs about CAS. Um, and to that goal, that's why we offer um, online trainings um, for SLPs. But actually one of our courses, so several years ago, um, the foundation started working with Dr. Edie Strand, yes. um, who we all know and love. Queen. And, yes, and um, are in awe of. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, several years ago, started working with her to provide trainings for speech language pathologists. And um, as a nonprofit, we are able to offer those trainings at no cost. So at this point, um, we have a two online courses. So we have a 90 minute course that's just a general introduction um, to CAS and that's by Edie. And um, it's actually really great too for parents and grandparents. Like it is pretty introductory, doesn't get into a lot of SLP jargon um, so it can be a great one um, for really anyone, but if, it, if you are an SLP and you want to earn continuing education, you definitely can. And then we have a four and a half hour course um, that's also available free of charge. That one definitely gets um, into a little bit more of the nitty gritty, goes into a bit more detail, obviously. So more for speech language pathologists, although again, it's open to anybody who's interested. Um, but that one gets into a, a bit more about diagnosis and definitely treatment and definitely DTDC or dynamic temporal and tactile cueing. Um, and then historically, we've also offered in-person two-day advanced workshops um, and where, again, go one of our um, experts teaches those courses. So either Edie or Sue Kaspari or Dr. Ruth Steckel um, or Dr. Maria Grigos um, teach those. And again, offered free of charge to speech language pathologists. And those, again, go into even more detail and then also do hands-on you get more hands-on practice with um, trying the techniques, with explaining things to parents, things like that. Um, and those have been on hold for the past year yeah. due to COVID, but um, we're very anxious to get them started again. So we're kind of monitoring and we're looking and I'm, you know, fingers crossed. I know. That we'll be able to get something going. I, I really hope by the end of the year we're going to be able to have those courses rolling again um, because there's definitely a need and yes. um, we're just really, again, the goal of the foundation is to have as many speech language that pathologists as possible, knowledgeable about CAS, and competent in treating CAS. So that's really our goal with these courses. Um, so we really want to get those advanced courses going again. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Honestly, anytime people ask me on my Instagram or social media about a training that I would recommend, I am trained in a bunch of different things, but mm -hmm. um, the training that I always recommend is that training that's offered through 
uh, this foundation that Brianna is a part of. So where can they find this? Um, so if you go to childapraxiatreatment.org, um, that's our website, and then you'll see, um, and then childapraxitreatment.org slash continuing education is where you'll see our online courses and the advanced workshops, um, which are again on hold right now, but once we have those scheduled, that will be posted there. Of course, we'll also announce anything like that on our social media, so um, Child Apraxia Treatment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, yes, and, and follow them, you guys, because they have, I mean, you're smaller, I feel like you're not getting the attention that you could because the information or that you should rather because the information you guys post is awesome. So I'm always thanks. liking it. And um, it's really good quality information. And um, I just it, I, it's just amazing that SLPs could get this training for free and you can get CEUs. So um, there's no reason not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And and you, it's pretty easy to break up and watch in pieces. Yeah. Um, for the online ones, um, you can definitely watch them in pieces. And the videos are actually on YouTube. So you can even, you know, do that and then actually log into the course, of course, to like take the test and stuff. But if you don't have time, like over a lunch break or something like that, you can just pull stuff up on YouTube, you know, and, and watch. Um, you know, watch portions of, of the course. Um, so try to make it really ex accessible. Um, and yeah, our social media is kind of uh, new. So we've really been working on that in the past several months um, because part of one of our other projects that we really started so yes, for several years now we've they've been offering uh, we've been offering the workshops and everything, but just in the past several months, we really started trying to expand our website to really have a lot more information for parents. So we really believe that parents can understand research and that they are, um, you know, and we know so many parents are doing everything they possibly can to advocate for their children. So we're really just trying to provide that good, high quality information um, for parents to be able to access and, and then um, use to help them um, know what you know what would be a good course for their child or to be able to make informed decisions yeah. about what type of therapy frequency um also you know we know that literacy is a big concern for a lot mm -hmm. of children with apraxia so we have a whole section on literacy um so we're trying to also get out good information um for those some of those related issues that are really common so we've been just um adding lots and lots of new content to our website especially in our section for parents um to really try to again provide just that whether you're brand new to CAS and the diagnosis or you're a little further down the road and running into some of these other co-occurring frequently co-occurring issues um, trying to provide that information so with that that's kind of when we started really um, trying to start build our, building our social media as well um, again hopefully trying to get content out there for parents and therapists yeah um, so. yeah I mean, because like, I, and I, I preach this all the time, but I think my biggest, my, w once I went through this whole experience with Ashlyn, and um, I, I always say to you, I had like 14 loose leaf papers on apraxia. And what I remember is being told it's so rare, I'll never see it. And um, yeah, like, I, that's pretty much one of the main things I just remember hearing, which is just crazy. If you think about my life now, yeah. um, <laughs> like, yes. boy, did they not know what they didn't know. Um, but I think what's so um, frustrating is um, therapists think they know. 
So you mm -hmm. come out of graduate school and you're given your um, certificate of clinical competence and we are told you are the expert on all the different speech and language disorders. And um, yeah, like you kind of come out and feel like you are. And what, what my message always is, is there, yes, you have your certificate of clinical certificate of clinical competence. However, you can't, none of us can be an expert in every speech and language disorder from birth all the way through the lifespan to geriatrics. And mm -hmm. that is what that certificate technically means, like, or that's what therapists think it means. Mm -hmm. It means you know about all of those disorders, but to be a true expert, I do really feel like they're in whatever you go into. I mean, if I were to go into feeding and swallowing in a nursing home, I am not competent enough to do that job right. <laughs> that For is sure. I would have to go and do some sort of additional postgraduate training or something if I decided to completely switch gears which I'll never do and go into that field you know or that mm -hmm. area so it's the same with apraxia so what I always worry is that therapists think they know and a therapist who thinks they know how to treat apraxia is much worse than the therapist that's like yeah I didn't really learn a lot about this you know what I mean mm-hmm mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree. And I think too, I mean, I definitely remember being that way for sure. When I came out of graduate school, got my C's and I was working in early child intervention. So I saw children with, you know, yeah, like all kinds of feeding, swallowing, um, just everything, cleft palate, um, you know, and everything in between. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, you're expected to, to know how to. And so it took me, you know, if a, a few years as a clinician to then kind of realize what I knew and what I didn't know totally. and being able to then be confident enough to say, I don't know. Yeah. And to then either, you know, seek more continuing education or make those referrals. And I'll tell you now, I make more referrals now than I did <laughs> clinician because I do know what I know and I know yeah. and I know what I don't know. Yeah. And I am comfortable saying, okay, like, like, I'm very good at screening for issues with this. Yeah, so yeah. I'm seeing things that make me concerned about this, but I am not an expert in this. So please go see someone who is. Yeah, I so love that. that. With a lot of different issues and, and, you know, in our children with apraxia, you know, I do primarily see children with apraxia, of course, at my practice, um, because I get lots of referrals from SLPs who I love who say, <laughs> I don't know, or yeah. I think maybe go see someone who knows more than yeah. I do. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I can see and comment on lots of times on apraxia, but then other things come up. Yeah. And so then there's like, okay, I mean, maybe there is apraxia, maybe there isn't, but then maybe there's also yeah, totally. something else where then I'm saying, okay, sorry, mom, but like, you, you know, there's another piece to the puzzle, I think. Yeah. So let's go, let's loop someone else in who can really help us on that piece of the puzzle. So, um, but yeah, just we're hopeful, you know, the foundation's goal is that, you know, more and more speech language pathologists are not going to think they know, but actually really know, or again, it's just kind of that thing where you know a little bit more. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, oh, okay, I know enough. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, then we need some more help on yes, this. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I do. That's exactly right. Totally. So, um, well, and let me tell, we'll talk more about DTTC for sure, but I did want to mention one other big thing that the yeah. foundation are doing recent months, and that is funding some new research on CAS. Oh, so, I just saw there, you got, yes. didn't, is it you guys that are doing the, um, well, go, you tell me. 
Oh, sure. So we're, <laughs> so we're helping to fund a multi-site research study um, on treatment intensity using DTTC, and that's being led up by Jonathan Preston, Trisha McCabe, and Edwin Moss. Wow. So, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, a and randomized RCT, control. right? Yeah. Yes, so it's a exciting. randomized control trial. Yes. So super excited to be um, funding that and really excited to see the information. And again, um, our goal is to provide, you know, high quality information that clinicians and parents can then use to make, you know, the best and most informed decisions they can for their kids. So, um, and that's, um, you know, we're, so there's going to be more announcements along those lines, you know, <laughs> we can't say anything uh, official yet, but we're really excited about that, that study for sure and um, really dedicated to funding some other projects as well so we'll look for announcements in those about those things in the coming weeks yeah that's huge that's so exciting <laughs> yeah yeah so it'll be a little while before we have answers from that right but it's coming yeah. and yeah. really needed so yeah and such a um awesome team there with so <laughs> that's, an, that's quite the lineup of names for sure <laughs> yeah so it's going to be it's going to be a fantastic study well, and just to have the randomized control, um, like for those of you that don't know, that type of study is like meets the criteria of the highest form of research. And we don't get to do those studies a lot because A, they're expensive. Um, it's hard to fund. Are there, you know, are there other reasons why they're so hard to get done? I guess apraxia is rare too. Exactly. So. That's what I was going to say. That's the other thing is apraxia is rare. And especially, you know, for research studies like this, we also have to limit variables. They, the researchers have to limit variables. So then we end up, you know, there's children who have apraxia and other diagnoses that then aren't eligible to be in the study right. because of the nature of trying to limit variables and things like that. So that also makes it um, tricky to find children who qualify as participants. So that's some of the reasons that, or for the studies, we do have the numbers tend to be smaller. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but yeah. But for those of you that don't know, Trisha McCabe is in Australia. So this is like truly an international undertaking. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> it is, but and, and amazing and exciting. So can't wait to see more information. And also um, when they are ready to enroll participants, then we'll be helping to, um, you know, publish that information about how um, parents can look into having their children participate. So. Oh, that's cool. I'll disseminate that when you get that too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So whenever they're up and running um, and start and start recruiting, then we'll be, we'll be sharing that information. So. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so I do get asked a lot, what is DTTC? So of course my first, you know, my what I'm gonna tell people is go to those trainings or go to YouTube and look at those videos. But it mm -hmm. is nice to just have someone kind of give an overview of the framework um, and principles of motor learning that is incorporated within this framework. And mm -hmm. of course that's what Dr. Strand is, um, you know, teaching about. Um, mm -hmm. But if you could um, just take us through what what this treatment approach entails. Sure. Um, so just a little background. So it was, of course, developed by Dr. Edith Strand based on her um, research and clinical experience over the course of more than 20 years. And, and she was at the Mayo Clinic, um, as many know, for many years. So it was she did design DTTC specifically to treat children with CAS. So um, not all treatment methods that are used to treat CAS were designed specifically, but it was, um, and based on the principles of motor learning. So principles of motor learning are those um, 
principles that we think about, like as far as organization of practice um, and, you know, things like that, as far as are we doing blocks, are we doing distributed or, you know, um, I don't want to get too much into I know you those. could go you could literally talk for like five hours on this but yes <laughs> right so but so Dr. Strand was thinking about those principles um, and and incorporated those principles into DTTC um, and then since she started using it of course like she started developing it and was using it with children and then there have been a number of research studies using DTTC over the years so whenever um Liz Murray and um, McCabe and Ballard did their review of what research we had for treatment of CAS that was published in 2014. DTTC was one of the ones that was shown to be effective in treating. So we have enough research to say, hey, yes, it is effective in treating CAS. It was shown in particular to be shown effective for treating children with moderate to severe CAS. Um, so it is the things it's kind of known for, I think, are really multi-sensory cueing hierarchy. Um, you know, a lot of clinicians, when they go to the training, they talk about the cueing hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And um, so that Dr. Strand develops that where it's like you start an imitation. So a clinician says it, child says it. If the child's not successful, you increase cueing. So one thing you do is simultaneous speaking where the clinician says the target at the same time as the child. Um, using slowed rate, it also incorporates um, visual cueing if the child needs it, proprioceptive cueing, tactile cueing. So as much cueing as the child needs, Needs to be successful. So the idea is that you're helping the child improve their movement accuracy using as much cueing as they need, um, but then it's dynamic because so if the child needs more help, you give them more help immediately. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they need less help, you you're taking the cueing away or fading cueing as we call it, so that they're becoming more independent and we're moving from movement execution to really movement learning. Um, so those are the couple of things. So that hierarchy of kind of, um, you know, here's more help, here's less help, and, and all the steps in between um, is one thing that it's really known for. And then again, that dynamic piece as far as that the clinician is constantly changing depending on the child's response. So there's no like, okay, we're going, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, sometimes you do say, okay, we're going to say this word 25 times, but it's going, it might look different every single time as far as, you know, what the clinician's doing and what the child's doing. Yes. Um, so that, that, I think those are the, the big things that um, it's really known for. It's also, I think known for the high number of repetitions um, and um, and again the, just those kind of principles of motor learning of thinking about what targets we're selecting and then how we're organizing um, those targets to be um, to be practiced so, um, so uh, I'm just going to ask you questions that I get like as parents sure. watching you I obviously know the answers <laughs> but <laughs> It's, it's easier if I, for interview purposes, do it this way. Sure. Um, so a question is then, how do you decide what targets to choose? Mm -hmm. So that, and we get that question a lot too <laughs> from clinicians. And um, so for DTTC, there's no like specific, there's no like word list or anything like that. It's all individualized to the child. So you really have to look at what the child's able to do. So what is their phon phonetic and phonemic repertoire? Um, you think about, so those are the sounds they're making, like what movements can they do with their mouth to produce sounds? And you kind of also think about the patterns of those movements. So as 
clinicians, we think of those as syllable shapes or phono, phonotactics. So things like, is can the child do a consonant vowel combination like me? Are they able to do a consonant vowel consonant combination like mom or a consonant vowel consonant vowel like mommy? So we think about those things as well. And then you definitely, definitely want to think about motivation and function. So what does the child want to say and what is useful for them to say? And that's part of the reason too that it's all individualized because if we're picking um, a target that we're going to practice hundreds of times you know, <laughs> right. for this child to learn. We really, we want it to be powerful and useful. So we think kind of too about um, the different functions or uses of the words. Um, so all of those things go into, especially for a child who's just starting out, which again, DTTC is, you know, been shown to be effective for kids with moderate to severe CAS. And as um, hopefully everybody knows, you know, CAS does evolve and change over time. So with appropriate treatment, those characteristics do change and hopefully lessen. And so the severity of CAS will often lessen over time. So DTTC it can be really great for kids who are just starting out. Um, it's not going to be their treatment for forever. So when we talk about this careful target selection, that's because often we're using DTTC with children who are just starting on their journey. So they might not have very many words at all. So right. we're really just really thinking very carefully about what those were, what words we're going to really practice. But um, you know, Dr. Strand, in her experience, a lot of times with intense treatment and DTTC, after about a year, kids were ready to move on to other therapy approaches because mm -hmm. they don't fit into that moderate to severe category any longer. Their, you know, their speech and their accuracy has really improved such that they're ready for other approaches. Um, so that's when we talk about this, like, careful selection of these targets. Um, you know, this isn't for children who are probably not for children who are really, you know, at the phrase or sentence level, things like that, those children have probably already moved on to um, where another approach is more appropriate. So yeah, you know, what's interesting, though, is that sometimes I will get those children who I feel have moved out of that DTTC stage and like, we're kind of onto other stuff, like, you know, a different approach, I might be able to use more of a phonological approach, but using being mindful of the principles of motor learning, mm -hmm. still looking at the movement gestures, making sure I have accuracy. But sometimes it is just not happening. Like it is just not happening. They're not getting it. And so I will I will draw back to mm -hmm. a small set of like 10 functional words with the sounds targets that I have, like, you know, that they have an error. Like, mm -hmm. for, I have one kid right now that a velar, like a phonological approach for his velars should have worked, but mm -hmm. it hasn't. So we drew it all back to functional words. He's speaking now, he's in sentences, but we drew it like his sister's name starts with a K. Um, his, he has, he lives on a farm. He actually does have a cow. We always talk about in the city, <laughs> cow is not a functional word and moo for kids, but in a farm it is. And, uh, <laughs> so we drew it all the way back and she just texted me this morning. I've been doing this for about two weeks now. And she just texted me this morning and was like, my husband and I noticed a huge difference. It's generalizing all over the place. And I was like, yeah. So, I mean, actually, like sometimes I do bring well, it back to that approach. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. And especially when it's like, it's a new uh, movement pattern, mm -hmm. you know, it's a new movement gesture. Yeah, exactly. Like he didn't have any movement gestures that were those back sounds or velars. Yeah. Um, then sometimes for children with CAS or a history of CAS, yeah. um, then that is really, you know, again, going back to those principles of motor learning. Yeah. And I, I see that too, a lot on like multisyllabic words, even as yes. like older and they're conversational and everything like that. But 
you know, those multisyllabic words can still really trip us up. And so it's just like, okay, well, let's do a block of it and yeah. let's more cueing and then, you yeah. know, and then we fade and everything as appropriate. But um, yeah, definitely. And that's, and in my <laughs> practice, we DTTC it. We, you know, we talk about our, our kids all the time our, and, um, and it, you know, a kid will be like at a higher level, but it's like, I think I need to DTTC this. <laughs> so we kind I'm of have made, using that now. We've kind awesome. of made it into a verb and just <laughs> meaning that we're thinking about all those principles of motor learning. We're thinking about that cueing hierarchy. Yeah. And that's what we're going to use for that goal. Yeah. Even though, yeah, even though the child might be, we might be working on a lot of other things that we're not really so much thinking about principles of motor learning on. Maybe we're working on lots of language goals. And yeah, right. Other things, but for that goal, we're going to think about DTTC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm going to DTTC it. I'm going to have to start using that. That's hilarious. It's so true yes. because I do end up having to do that every once in a while. So, yes, um, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's a, that's probably a weekly phrase here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess my point in saying that too is just to let people know that um, even though it's designed for children in the moderate to severe range, having this knowledge under your belt what all the training encompasses, knowing the framework, knowing the hierarchy, knowing principles of motor learning is going to take you so much further as a therapist. Like mm -hmm. um, in general, it's just going to make you a better therapist having this like kind of base understanding. So anyway. <laughs> that's, that's definitely, definitely our hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that you guys are doing great. Like this is so awesome. Um, while you were talking, I had a question. I, I thought of a question that other parents like that parents will ask me um uh in terms of cueing so really you know dttc is kind of built on that um what brianna is saying a hierarchy but cueing can be involved so is there you know what parents then want to know well what are the cues teach me the cues <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so talk about yeah. that so um, there's no specific set of cues used in DTTC. And what, um, you know, what we usually say is that it's what cueing works for that child at that time. So again, it's really individualized. So, and you'll hear Dr. Strand and Dr. Steckel say, and I, I, you, I'm sure you found this, Laura, in your practice, I found it in mine. I, I know different cueing techniques. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I have prompt training. Um, I, I, I know visual phonics. <laughs> um, so, and I use those at times, but there isn't necessarily one cue that's going to work for every child in every situation. And so a lot of it's just like what works for that child at that moment. And a lot of times it has to do too with the error that they're making. Mm -hmm. Like what kind of help do they need? Um, you know, if they don't need help with lip movement and closure, then doing a tactile cue for their lips, they don't need right. it. The lips don't use it, you know, right? Or if their error yeah. is something different, if they're making a nasality error, you know, saying a mm instead of a b. Mm -hmm. you know, then that's kind of maybe going to be a different cue yeah. than we would use if they're saying a duh instead of a but, you know, yeah. so things like that. So it's just, there is not any one cueing system. It's really individualized. It's whatever you need to do in that moment to help that child improve their movement accuracy to be able to say that word um, accurately. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, that's tough because it would be easy or <laughs> there was just like, here it is, you know, and we wish that there was. Yeah. Um, but um, it does take a lot of skill on the part of the clinician. It and does. A, lot, a lot of that 
training and then also a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And I tell families that's a catch 22 because apraxia is rare. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, definitely, obviously having the knowledge is better than not for a clinician, but then it's also just experience. And that can be kind of tough if you um, haven't seen many children with apraxia. So um, just, you know, have but I've seen clinicians who um, are really devoted and they just, you know, um, they might be learning with your child, but they're learning and they're going to get better. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I mean, the clinician who's willing to go out and learn and admit they might not be an expert in it mm -hmm. um, a lot of times ends up being a better one than the person that's like, well, no, I, you know, I'm I just had a parent tell me the other day their SLP discharged him because um, he just didn't work with her and he's the only kid he's ever had that didn't cooperate with her, leaving the impression that it's the somehow the kid's fault that the clinician wasn't making progress like hello people like can we have some introspection here like if you're not making progress when is it ever the kid's fault like the answer is it's never their fault <laughs> like you literally have to figure maybe you're not the person for them and then that's okay like or maybe right. they have something else going on but like figure it out don't just discharge them and be like sorry they won't work with me and i've never had a kid like this so figure it out like what <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely need to provide resources because yeah, if you're not the <laughs> yeah. right person, which sometimes you're not, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, and I don't know for me and a lot of the clinicians I know, I know when you realize when you're not making progress, that's what keeps us up at night. And yes, you know, like exactly. you're like racking your brain, like what what we're for, and that's what you know a lot of our my discussions with other clinicians are is like what what else can we do or what referrals do we need to be making what are we missing what yes. what, what what needs to happen here um and you know another service that the foundation offers is we do um you know we have our wonderful experts um that are available so we do answer questions from families we do review oh, video awesome oh wow that's good to kids. know and we do that for therapists too so of course if it's a clinician sending us a video of course we're getting consent and things like that signed from the family um but we are happy to like you know have those discussions and help out like provide some guidance again for clinicians or families of like okay here's what we're seeing of course this isn't a full evaluation or anything yeah. like that but here is what we think you know comes to our experts mind of directions that we think that this child should be going or suggestions for therapy, things like that. Um, or yeah, I do get that question about targets. Um, mm -hmm. And again, when it's individualized, there's no just like, we can give some general things, but I do like brainstorm through with clinicians of like, okay, yeah. what is the child's repertoire? you know, okay, what is meaningful for this child? Okay, how about how, you know, here are some suggestions or and a lot of times just tweaking, like clinicians have great ideas. Mm -hmm. And then especially if they're not succeeding with something being like, okay, what's another way? What's another cueing technique we could use to succeed? Or how could we tweak that target into something that maybe the child could be successful. With. Yeah. When I do my, I do consults too. Mine are paid though, but um, I do consults too. But typically the overarching thing that is always, I'm going to be leaving them with is that the therapist hasn't faded the cues. So the child can do X, Y, and Z, but we're just not getting anywhere in terms of generalization and carryover. And that's usually the problem. So cueing is important. Another reason why DTTC learning about it is so helpful because in the hierarchy itself built into that hierarchy, you are going to naturally fade all cueing to a point where you know you get that independence. Like that's the whole point of DTTC. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. Then and that <laughs> when I was um, went to the my first DTTC training um, several years ago, that was before I worked for the foundation. Um, that like learning about the delayed imitation, you know, even having yes. literature and something that stuff that was something that I had just really not gotten. Like I got the simultaneous and yeah, and then I got imitation, but then it's like we kind of went from <laughs> imitation to kind of yeah. like, and so I had missed that delay. Yeah and that can be really powerful so powerful for a lot of kids to really get them to that generalization to really gain mastery of that motor plan to really move it into true motor learning mm -hmm. and not just motor execution that delayed imitation is huge so oh, I love that you just said that because Carrie and I on, on Carrie Ebert is an apraxy expert and we have a series called Uncorked and we were just talking about how you know there's a difference between motor performance and how the child mm -hmm. is um, you know acting in therapy and what they're able to say but motor learning like for true motor learning to have occurred that these are why the parents are consulting is because it's like how come we don't have independence and it is exactly that is because the child only has motor performance they do not have true motor learning and to bridge that gap like brianna was saying that delayed imitation can be so so powerful yes yep yeah, yeah definitely so yeah Definitely some that's like, oh, well, yeah, like we said, Edie's a genius. I know, like, seriously, this woman, I can't. It's like, I... oh, that's why it's there. That makes so much sense that it works so, I so was, often. I was just like you, though. I think it is like we all want to jump the gun. And with typical speech disorders, we don't mm. need to have this. We don't need to True. do all this crazy stuff to try and get carryover. I mean, there's stuff we have to do and there's stuff we intentionally do to get carryover. Yeah. But it's not like this. Like, this is just a whole different animal because it involves motor learning so mm -hmm. I miss that too because I think the natural inclination yeah I knew you know the framework and yeah I knew the hierarchy but yeah the inclination is like okay simultaneous production direct imitation now we got it and like no like it really is this like extra little step there like so powerful for sure yeah and that's if you don't do like initial like mime if you don't do miming or initial um placement cue or something like that because it's like oh and then there's little shades within that too yeah for so, sure complicated business feedback um yeah feedback mm -hmm. too feedback, is another thing sure. some people have to fade um as well but feedback yes um is feedback incorporated into dttc definitely yeah <laughs> That's, uh, definitely another one of those principles of motor learning yeah. Um, that's definitely, and so thinking about, again, um, as you're going through with a target of moving, um, of course, lots of extrinsic feedback where you're telling the child how they performed, but going from more specific, like, oh, you forgot to put, move your lips together or something like that to um, where you're more just um, telling them right or wrong. So just that knowledge of results, um, you know, yep, that was it or no. So that the child is then having to think about, oh, was that right or wrong? So yeah, definitely that's included in DTTC <laughs> as well. Definitely included in the trainings. Um, Dr. Strand covers, um, covers that as well, so. Well, awesome. This is just such an awesome resource for our community. I'm so happy to be a part of helping you get the word out. Thank you for all yeah. that you do. I mean, you're a rock star. I can't even believe you hold all these roles. <laughs> I mean, I can because people say the same thing about me, but it is I'm because sure they do. <laughs> it is because when you're passionate about it, it it really it is work, obviously, but it doesn't feel like work. So, um, I mean, it is work, but you know what I mean. It's, I for sure, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I. Yeah, I'm just like it's it's my work. It's my personal life. Yeah. It, it's just kind of all 
kind of goes together. Yeah, yeah, uh, but exactly. Thank you so much for having me and for helping us to get the word out. Um, and it's just, again, another resource that we um, want families to be aware of and um, not just an additional resource. So um, yeah. everybody to be aware of, in addition to all the other fabulous resources, like all of the information you put out, all the great information that Apraxia Kids puts out, everything Absolutely. that Carrie yeah. does. Yeah. So just we all got to work together. <laughs> right, exactly. So just another resource we want parents um, and clinicians to be able to access to, to really help their kids and, and meet their needs. So. Awesome. Well, um, you guys, I'm going to tell you again, please check out Childhood Apraxia Treatment. It is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and um, they are putting out great information for clinicians and families. Check out their website. Is it the same like childhoodapraxiatreatment.com? So it's childapraxiatreatment.org. Oh, that's what I always get wrong. I say childhood in it. Child, yeah. Child apraxia treatment. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, so make sure you check them out. So thank you, Brianna, so much for being here today. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me. Great to talk. Bye, guys.